0: Would you open God's precious holy word to the Revelation 22? And the first five verses are are the completion of the tour of the city that the angel gives to John. So keep in mind all of the other things that we saw uh, in the latter part of the Revelation 21. John saw from a high mountain where the angel carried him on the new earth. We have to keep in mind, and this is sort of hard to do. Because all, and it's poor John, you can imagine what a hard time he had. We only have the here and now and what we can see to compare with what we're studying with regard to the new heaven and the new earth. So we have to keep in mind that it's a new earth. And we saw last time that the new earth has a capital city that comes down from God. And it descends and it comes to rest on the new earth. And the capital city is 14, the wall of it is 1,400 miles high and 85 yards thick. To use the, uh, the city-state rule of the day in, in, in the ancient times, um, the gate would be as a third as high as the, I'm sorry, the, yeah, the gate would be a third as high as the wall, so the gate is 500 miles high. There are three of them on each side And each gate is a pearl, one big pearl. Now, John has his first view, his panoramic view from the high mountain. So you can imagine how big the new earth must be if one city, if the capital city is that big. it goes, we'll have to accommodate 1,400 miles, and 1,400 miles would be about from the southern part of Florida to the northern part of Maine. That would be one side. So you can see how big the the city is. John had the panoramic view, and then... um, He was taken on the tour of the exterior, and he saw that. We read about that. Then he was taken inside the city, and he was given, or he is being given, and it continues tonight, a tour of the interior of the city. So here is where John is. He is inside a city that is designed to reflect. Brilliant light. The glory of God and of the Lamb are the light of the city. That's what we learned. You couldn't look on the face of God in the Old Testament because of sin. But in the state of pure holiness... In the state of glorification, where there is no defiled thing, there is no sin, we are enabled to look upon the complete and whole glory of God. We saw that everything about the city is designed to reflect brilliance. It's designed to reflect Light, diamond wall, 1,400 miles high, 85 yards thick. Gates with beautiful pearls, 12 foundation stones, precious stones. Streets that appeared as gold and yet they were clear as glass, so it's some sort of translucent, incandescent, whatever you want to call it, material that makes up the streets. In the new creation, and John is trying to describe in the new creation what he sees by by the only thing he can reference, and that is what he knew in the first creation, in the first earth, the first heaven, first earth for him. So everything here, and this is a huge city. This is the centerpiece of the new earth. And, of course, the bride, the people of God, the elect of God reside there. And we saw how there are nations somehow, and we're just not told about that group, but they are permitted on the new earth, and they bring their glory and their honor into the city. That'll be an interesting thing to learn more about when the time comes. The gates are never closed. There's never any night because the glory of God shines and energizes the whole place. So that pretty much brings us to verse 1 in the Revelation 22. He is still being carried on his tour and still writing as best he can. What he sees. And he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, flowing out of the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street, and on this side and on that side of the river. Was, there's no definite article, so it was a tree of life producing fruits, 12 fruits, according to each month, each yielding its fruit according to each month. And we'll stop there. Now this is new earth water. This is not old earth water, okay? It's clear as crystal. He says here that it's flowing out of ectu, thronu, out from the throne of God at the pinnacle of the city. Is the throne of God. So the throne of God is a magnificent structure of some kind where God is enthroned. Surely in the middle and at the pinnacle of that city, out from beneath, out from beneath the throne... Explodes in my view, explodes. River of life, water of life, clear as crystal, new earth water. It originates from that throne. Now it uh, flows down. It's very difficult to imagine because the street is in the singular in its initial description. So there is a street that somehow makes its way all the way through 1400 cubic miles this way, that way, that way, that way. I'm sure in a beautiful balanced fashion And it goes all the way to where the throne of God is. This magnificent liquid diamond water explodes as a tremendous waterfall and begins to flow in the description. It begins its flow and its cascade in the middle of the street. So you have an immense street. We're not told how wide the street is, we're just told it's there. But we are told that a river flows down the middle of it so that you have pathway on either side of the river that swiftly falls and cascades and flows down 1,400 miles. On either side of the river of the middle in the river of the great street and on either side of the river tree of life now because of the plural that's used describing the fruits and so forth we can see that there are more than one of them so I'm sure in a beautiful heavenly landscape type of fashion trees of life are equally planted and balanced one to the other on either side of the liquid diamond flowing, cascading, falling river of life as it makes its way in a tremendous flow downward from the throne to the very bottom of the city, the base of the city. Now, and every time I start preaching, I have to wake up my phone again. There we go. Out of the throne of the Lamb, in the middle of the street of the river, on this side, that side of the river, was tree of life, producing fruits. Okay. You will note here that it says, producing 12 fruits, according to each month or yielding its fruit according to each month. Okay, we'll stop there. Twelve different kinds of fruit. From one tree. That's interesting. Now. This is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. Probably. Probably. Because we're going to see in the language here that heaven is going to be active and it's going to have tremendous, vibrant variety. So it would seem to me that if there are 12 different kinds of fruit and one tree can produce, then you probably have the trees, each one producing a different of those 12 fruits all the time. That's the way I see it, because God loves variety. So you might be skipping down the boulevard and stop and look and say, you know, I like that fruit back there a little bit better than I like this one, so I think I'll just go back up here. And I don't know if you're going to say that or not. I'm sure they'll all be tasty. But the implication is, if it's fruit, you're going to eat it. And you won't get gaseous or anything like that because you're in a glorified body. And the leaves of the tree are for the therapy of the nations. Therapeon. It's an interesting word. Your your translation may say healing. I think the King James says healing. Well, we will need, our concept of healing is that we're sick and we need to be healed from an illness. This word, this Greek word can certainly speak of that. In its broader sense, though, it speaks of, of, uh, of, of uh, energizing or life-giving, health-giving, whatever. So it's, f- it's for the therapy of the nations. So I have to think about this. Now the last time the term the nations, or the phrase the nations was used, it was used in the previous chapter to describe those who had kings bring in their glory and honor. So is this a designate? Probably not. It probably speaks because in previous parts of the Revelation, we have those who have come from every tribe, tongue, kindred, nation. And it bespeaks to me of the continued wonderful variety That God continues with in that not so much an ethnic difference, but a different kind of focused energy. Now, so, okay, here are fruits. And it says the leaves are for the therapy of the nations, the health giving, the life energy of the nations, So what does that mean? Does that, okay, it seems to again imply that we eat the leaves. Is this some sort of celestial salad? I don't know. That we eat, we chase it down with a fruit or a fruit juice. No, we chase it down with fruit and then we'd chase it down after that with life water, I guess. I'll be happy to. But here's the deal. Let's stay with this this phrase for just a second. For For the life energy of the nations, everybody. Now that tells me, so what do we do? Do we take these leaves? Are the leaves different? Are the leaves and blossoms different ...from one month to the next. Now, even though we're in what I would call, most people call the eternal state, there is still a measure of time. Here's another word that is used in the New Testament that teaches us that the measures of time can give forth from from one age to another. Because even Christ himself speaks, when he speaks of eternity, he speaks, and the Greek phrase is this, "...into the ages of the ages." Now, aeon, age, aeon, that is a designate, that's a word that desi, from the Greek that designates uh, an immense period of time. But it has a beginning, and it gives forth to the next thing, the next age. Now, that kind of excites me. What will be the purpose of the first age? I don't know. In a minute, we're going to see that we are the servants of... The bond servants of God. So he will give us the challenge. Is my textbook, is my textbook a leaf? I don't know. I just don't know. But it's a wonderful thing to think about when you see and consider how it's all written out here for us. So it's for the it is for the life-giving energy of the nations the leaves of the tree of life. Now that takes us back to the Garden of Eden. Of course we remember the story of the the account of the Garden of Eden. The invitation to eat of every tree and among those trees was the tree of life. And, And that Adam and Eve bypassed that in favor of the other tree of which they were warned against not to eat. Everything that was lost, everything, the possibility, everything that was lost. Well, here it is again, only now, paradise, Eden, is something far better than it would have been there. Remember, he set up caribin with flaming swords to keep the way to the tree of life, to guard it. He never never destroyed the way to the tree of life. He kept it open, but there was a way and you could only go one way. To the tree of life, and that was by God's way. And if you consider where, where God covered them with coats of skins. The only way he could have done that was to have killed animals who were still themselves emerging from an unfallen state. So they would have been innocent. And he spilled the blood of innocence to cover the guilt and sin of mankind, Adam and Eve. So if they were to stand and look back at the gates of a garden that now they were cast out of, They would see from between where they were and the tree of life were innocent beings who had been slain, who had shed their blood so that they could be covered with that which God had designed that would hide their nakedness, God's provision. So then, okay, we go from there. And, and there will not be any longer any curse, cursedness, cursed, accursed thing, nothing that is accursed. The original curse was connected to the original sin. And so the curse of physical death, the curse of uh, pain in childbirth, thorns and thistles, the curse of working by the sweat of the brow, having now been forbidden from an economy that otherwise was only to be enjoyed and nothing else to eat of it, to drink of it, to, to frolic and play and be with the animals in a perfect state. Well, all of that was lost. That was the curse. And things that were given over to that, whether it be something offered to a false god or whether it be a person who would never who would never, who, who would, who would never be redeemed, it would be an accursed thing. Well, there's none of that any longer. It's gone. So he notes the wonder and the beauty of the city on its interior. Of course, he had to have been uh, cognizant of the of the uh, inhabitants of the city. The city was filled. Someone asked the story, someone asked a question once, this was several decades ago, of Dr. Henry Morris. Dr. Henry Morris, well he's dead now, but he was the brilliant scientist who really was the one who began to train other, other Christians who were scientists about creationism. I watched a I watched a special last night on one of the YouTube channels well it was an answers in genesis and they were walking in fairly deep woods and there was on one side a cliff you know and if you're walking through the woods or something you don't really think about well, that cliff is out of place. How would I know? Yeah, it's a cliff, right? But the trained eye, the paleontologist, he was showing this man who was the person who ran the channel on YouTube. He would stop all along, and he would explain something that proved the flood in just this cliff. He pointed out, just in the brief walk that they had, he showed him no less than five logs, trees, that had been caught in the rush of the sediment and the explosion of the earthquake that would have had to have done this. And even, even general scientists have to agree that this could not have happened Unless it was from the force of an earthquake, let me get this right. It would have to be something like 6,000 times the energy of the explosion of Mount St. Helens. And this happened so quickly. These things were moving at thousands of miles an hour. And certain quartz rocks were exposed so that you could see the underside. He said, this is just not right. You know, these, Those things are on the bottom. But they're up here and we're seeing the underside of it. Then he would stop and he would show him this long, it looked, really? If you looked at it, it, looked, it really looked, when you were thinking about it, it looked like a kind of a telephone pole thing. Stuck in that cliff. And he said, now see, wait, here, you see? And he said, here's what we've learned. And he described a certain kind of tree that this particular one was, and he said, those things are not really trees. He talked about how they grow about two inches And their roots float, so they have to be. And this, he was describing what kind of immense forests there must have been and how huge the trees and plants would have been because this, and he he told him what gentleman, all the descriptions of the plant that was petrified and frozen into this cliff. He said, this thing is supposed to be about two inches high. It has tubular a tubular body, which looks like bark, but if you chip the bark away, you don't have anything It's hollow on the inside. And he said, the roots are hollow on the inside, and then the subroots that come out from those are also hollow on the inside. And they float. They're designed to float. So he said, look at how, just what we're looking at. They were looking at a piece that probably was about eight feet long. Uh, you know, the untrained eye can be walking along a cliff and Not paying attention to something like that. And he said, of course, we see this all the time. Pre-flood trees, you know, all just jammed up in, in rock formations and so forth. They're easy to see if you look for them. And he pointed out of how wonderfully rich the atmosphere must have been for something that can only grow two inches now was back then. he said, this one apparently was about 30 feet high. So you can imagine how big a tree would have been and how rapid they would have grown in the pre-flood world. It was a fascinating thing to hear him uh, describe. And you think of how wonderful paradise was when mankind was in his unfallen state. For all of that beauty that one could imagine It cannot compare to the glory and the beauty of what John was seeing in the new Jerusalem on the new earth. He goes on and he says, there will not any longer be any curse, cursed thing. And the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it. And his servants, his bond servants will serve him. I'm going to give you my interpretation of that. Now a lot of people will say, oh, we're going to be in church all the time and listen to King James reading and singing old hymns. And No. It'll all be worship, but it will be, it will be service. Let me tell you something. I guess, you know, the prophet says that your bones burn to preach. When he spoke of prophesying, his bones burn. I understand that. I was a teenager when when my bones were sparked up and began to set on fire. And then I was given an opportunity in a very large church to preach my first sermon. And, And the fire began to rage. And so from that day to this day, now, I will tell you this. There was a space of time In my life Where It was very Difficult To show up To talk to people To stand up in front of people You know A little group Thinks that you're not And all I did was preach They think you're supposed to be doing other stuff as well You know And they, they just kind of had it in for me. And there were lies that were told and doubts that were cast. It's kind of like they threw everything they could up against the refrigerator just to see what would stick. It was painful. I cannot tell you how painful it was. The only thing, and my wife will tell you, I, man, I... I I had already designed a karate studio, and I just said, I don't need this. But I do need it. My dad still had the clothing business. I was like, give me my tape measure. I'm gonna go back into the clothing business. But I never could. The flame was always still there, and I never addressed, I never have used the pulpit as a bully pulpit. I've just always kept doing what I was doing, went to the next set of verses, and I kept doing that while I was there, and it was a trial, but the only thing other than my family life that was a joy to me in that stretch of time was standing in the pulpit and serving the Lord the way he had designed me to serve him. That was my only escape from what was otherwise a horrible time in my life. And the Lord sent us about to the only place in the world where we could have been refreshed. And then now here we are, so (laughs) you're going to have to be awfully good to put my fire out. Um... And this service, I'm his slave and I love it. I serve him in this way and it wouldn't hurt me to do this into the ages of the ages. Now here's my point. Here is my point. If it's that good now for the people of God who have been resourced by God, gifted by God, outfitted by God And would submit to this service how much better will it be in eternity for God to equip you in a way that you cannot presently understand in an age that you cannot know just now and turn you loose for that age we will serve him and it will be the happiest most joyful thing that we could ever do. I couldn't, serving him, you couldn't be any happier. There's no higher joy than to serve the Lord like this. So, knowing how he's worked in my life, I understand when the Bible says, and his servants will serve him. I will one way, you will another way, you will another way, and infinite and various ways that will carry us into a higher joy and a higher blessing that we could have never, ever, ever known in this present life. And it will continue for the age until according to his blessed purpose, in a thousand years, a million years, ten mil- a billion years, he brings that age to a close and gives me another, higher, more joyful service. Whatever it is. Because then it says, and they will see his face. They will see his face. <laughs> I, I, have, I went through this apologetics training through the uh, home, well, it's North American Mission Board. Yeah. And one of the things we had to do was go through this um, speech and public speaking thing. And this guy, at the time, we we had two Shih Tzus. This guy had a Shih Tzu. And so you just are supposed to, off the cuff, you're just supposed to come up with something that's part of your life and make it interesting to people, you know, all that kind of stuff. And this guy said, you know, he called his Shih Tzu's name. He said, when I come in the door, she just inhabits my glory. (laughs) Well, I understood what he meant. I have a little thing now that's a dog, and she just, inhabits my glory. The happiest thing for her. And I don't know why. Look at this face. You're not gonna jump and spin around when you see this face. You're not gonna do flips and jump up in my you're just not gonna do it. I don't blame you. But this little thing, she can't she is so little she can't jump. So she starts squealing, crying, wanting to get in my lap. I have to reach over and pick her up then she can see my face so i guess i'm god's dog <laughs> i don't know I... here is my point okay here is my point there is nothing that can compare to be given the service that is exactly what i wanted to do And then to see his face. Nothing compares to that. So. Even my iPhone doesn't like my face. It says face ID and it won't do it. And his name. Will be on their foreheads. So we'll be his. His. His possession, it's okay. What higher greater thing, I'm a created being, I'm not God. What higher greater thing could there be for me than for him to claim me forever as his possession and for it to be seen by everybody by the imprint on my forehead. And night will not be there. And they have no need of the light of a lamp and of the light of the sun, because the Lord God will enlighten upon them. I have his name, I have his calling. I have a call to service. I've seen his face, and the essence of his glory will be on me. And they will reign as tis eonus ton eonon. They will reign to the ages of the ages, unending ages. Of reigning and serving. Being in possession of his glory that shines on me. Looking upon his face. And being his servant in just the right way. For the happiest joy. That I could know. I'm going to stop there. And we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.